Welcome to Mount Olive First Pentecostal Holiness Church. Thank you for connecting with us. Our desire at MOF PHC is for you and your family to find hope in Jesus Christ so that he will transform your life. Thanks again for connecting with us. Please contact us if we can help you discover God's purpose for your life. Enjoy the message. I was told that this crowd is much more spiritual than the earlier crowd. <laughs> is that true? <clears throat> All right. Well, I'm, I'm expecting that of you. I need I need your help uh, this morning in uh, preaching. It's good to be with you, uh, uh, to be a part of this. You know, they, they structure meetings like this so they begin with low expectations. <laughs> and then each night they have a more interesting, powerful speaker until the, the, you end with somebody like Jimmy Whitfield, who used to be the superintendent of the conference. He has fire coming out of his fingernails. He, 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 he's walked on the water with Jesus. So you don't want to miss uh, Wednesday, uh, Wednesday night. Do they, do they, Doug? Absolutely. Now, what are you doing sitting back there with the backsliders? <laughs> I mean, you were the pastor of this church, and now you've gone all the way to the back row. It's just so sad to see what happens when when. When people get out of the ministry and they get into administrative uh, work, and I love you. It's so good to, to to be with you. In fact, on Thursday night uh, in Maui, uh, Barbara and I came in, and and uh, your general superintendent, I guess that's what you, Doug Beecham, came over and sat down, and we had dinner with him, and uh, and also Gary Bryant, who is your international, or I guess national director of uh, of uh, of evangelism. And it's, it's always an honor to be with uh, people uh, like that. I was there at a global conference on how do we finish the Great Commission and win the last billion to Jesus Christ. How do we reach the last 3,000 or so unengaged, unreached people groups? And I will leave, as Pastor indicated, and go to Kuwait for a national prayer leadership conference. They tell me that it is probably one of the first ever interdenominational prayer conferences in um, in, in, in Kuwait, but it's an honor to be here with your pastor. He's young and fresh, and I think he loves the Lord. I think he's a Christian. I mean, sometimes churches don't get pastors who are Christians. It's good. It's good to have a a pastor who is a Christian and uh, and uh, loves the Lord and uh, and loves you. I know he loves you, and he's hungry to see. Um, not only this church experience revival, but a revival that impacts impacts your community. anybody anybody want to see a community impacting revival? Well, that's what I want to talk to you about this this morning. Uh, a couple books outside. We we weren't able to sell them to the earlier crowd. We hope you'll buy them. <clears throat> you are more spiritual, aren't you? Uh, this is called Simple Radical Prayers. I, I'm a man. I don't like to read much. We wrote this book just for you. It has stories in it. And uh, just simple, radical uh, prayer. Here's one that's, uh, uh, that's a nasty book. It's called Intercession, the Uncomfortable, Strategic, Critical, Bloody Middle. That's where God wants you. It's between him and hurting people. It's what we hire the pastor to do, get him in the middle. 
so I can go home and watch old reruns of Andy Griffith. But God wants us. He's been trying to get a people in the middle between him. And, and you see, here's the deal. It's uncomfortable to be there because we don't feel like we have answers. We don't feel like we're up to it. But the greater blessing is never on the end. The greater blessing is always in the it's always in that uncomfortable middle. And then uh, he mentioned a book you've used before, Prayer of the Heartbeat of the Church. We bought the rights to that from Pathway, put it out again, called Prayer of the Heart of It All. What does prayer say? What is prayer? What, is it, what does it say about God? What does it say about us? Should my family pray together? Uh, is there a relationship between prayer and evangelism? Prayer of the Heart of It All. And the last two chapters are what happens when God comes to a city and changes a city. I'm going to mention this uh, this morning. It's uh, called the New Apostolic Epic, and I'm really going to preach, in a sense, out of this book. Everything I say, I have to admit, is not in this book, but this is the newest book. You just got it back from the press uh, this, this uh, month, the newest book we have out, and I'll tell you a little bit about why this is, uh, this is uh, important. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm going to read from uh, Revelation Chapter 8, and I'm just going to pop around, and then I'll come back and tell you how I think all that fits together. Uh, Revelation chapter uh, uh, 8. If you've got a Bible, and if you don't have a Bible, go to the local Bible bookstore and steal one. And uh, bring it to church with you, and, uh, and after you've read a little bit of it, you'll go pay for it. I believe you will. You need a Bible, and uh, you need a Bible to pray, and you need a Bible uh, to mark up when somebody is preaching. Now, Lord, you, you, you know that this is what you put on my heart, and I don't know how to say it. I struggle to say it this morning. I'm just asking you, Lord, to not, not let this be a sermon. I'm just so sick of sermons. I'm asking you to help me engage this congregation with the prophetic word that you gave me to give to them. And I, I'm just praying that this meeting that they're having this week will be more than a meeting. It'll stir, it'll change, it'll transform. It'll be the point at which they look back and say, that's when God came and changed and directed us. I'm just asking you to visit us, to visit this group this morning with your presence in Jesus' name. The Bible says in chapter 8 of the, of the Revelation that when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for a half an hour. Now, this is a mystery. Scholars uh, uh, fuss about what this means. It is the silence of anticipation because of what is about to happen. And what is about to happen has something to do with the prayers of people just like you. I wonder if this is not an anomaly. I wonder if this doesn't happen from time to time in heaven. I wonder if there aren't times in heaven when your prayer, my prayer, or the prayers of a church come up before God and God pounds the gavel in heaven and says silence. And he hears your prayer in the matter of, and it's your name, in the matter of the Pentecostal church, holiness church at Mount Olive. And he hears your prayer. See, you see prayer, something happens down here. We see prayers whimpering in our little prayer closet. No, no, no. Prayer happens in heaven. See, the truth is, when you get to heaven, you're looking for Enoch and, and Elijah to get their autographs, and they are likely to say to you, I, I, I know who you are. 
because I was in heaven's courtroom when your prayer came up and was presented before God. How did that turn out on the earth side? I know from up here there were angels that were released, commissioned. There were resources that were appropriated. God called the court of heaven to, 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 to session and heard your prayer. We have no idea this thing called prayer. We, we, we have no idea. God governs the world by the prayers of his people. Uh, history turns on the back of intercessors. We see it as a weak little thing. No, uh, no, 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 no. This is, this is the most powerful privilege that you have is to go to God and pray and ask him for intervention. The Bible says there's silence in heaven, the silence of anticipation. And seven angels stood before God, and, and, and they had seven trumpets. And another angel stood at the golden center, not down here, but in heaven, at that altar. And he was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of the saints. And so there's a moment at which your prayers, as if they are incense, are offered on heaven's altar. You pray down here and heaven's altar smokes. It's an extraordinary thing. In fact, you don't do your praying down here at all. You do your praying there. You sit in where? Heavenly places. Good prayer joins heaven in a prayer meeting. The Bible says the prayers of the saints ascended up. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar. And he threw it into the earth. Here's the impact of prayers to which God says, yes and now. And there's noise and thunder and lightning and, and a seismic shift, an absolutely incredible moving of the earth itself, all triggered because of prayer that's offered by the people of uh, God. Go back, if you will, to chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 1. The Bible says that I saw in the right hand of the one who sat upon the throne a scroll that had writing inside and out. Now, normally a scroll will only have writing on the inside, but this means the revelation is full. And I saw a strong or powerful angel with a loud voice saying, Who is worthy to open the scrolls and loose them? But there was nobody, nobody able, nobody worthy. And I wept, and one of the elders said, Don't weep. Because the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed. He is overcome. He's not only worthy, he is able to open the scrolls and loose them. And the Bible said, I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne were four living creatures. And in the midst of the elders stood a what? Not a lion, but a lamb slain. He's dead, but he's still alive. He's slain, but he won't go down. He's dead, but he's still on his feet. He's not a lamb at all. He's a what? He's a lion. He cannot be killed. He cannot be destroyed. He cannot be put away. Nothing we do to him can take his life away. He has endured the cross. He's gone through Golgotha. He has ascended into heaven. He is at the right hand of God. Oh, praise the name of the Lord. Oh, glory to the name of the Lord. He takes the scroll out of the right hand of him who sits upon the throne. And the Bible said there were four in living creatures, four living creatures, and 24 elders that fell down before the throne. They have a harp and they have these golden bowls full of the incense, which are the prayers of the saints. There are times that, 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 that your prayers go up to God, and God says, yes, but not yet. And it's as if he makes one of these 24 elders in heaven a custodian of the yes, but not yet prayers that you have prayed. And then there's a time 
when the bowls fill up and God says that's enough and he takes the bowls that have been prayed from this church or Mount Olive or North Carolina or your family and mixes it with fire on the altar and boom, he sends the power of that answered prayer back into the earth and seismic, glorious, incredible things, incredible things take place. Let me go back. Let me go back and read chapter 4. And I want to show you one other thing. The Bible says that I saw a door open in heaven and a voice like a trumpet that says, Come up here and I will show you the things that will take place hereafter. I, immediately I was in the spirit and there was a throne in front of me and I saw one that sat upon the throne. It, 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 and yet he can't describe that one. This is God. This is the Father. It looks like Jasper. No, it, 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 it looks like a sardius uh, stone. No, 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 it looks like a rainbow. No, it looks like a, a, an emerald. See, it's red, it's reddish orange, or reddish purple. It, it, it's, 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 a refra- it's all kind of colors. It, 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 it's, it's back to a kind of a reddish color, back to a green kind of color. What is this? What is this refraction of light? It is God who is light himself. And all the various colors that come out of perfect, of perfect light. You've never seen anything like this. This is a kaleidoscope of changing, brilliant, bright, colorful rays that, he, that are emitted from the uh, 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 throne. And then he said, around the throne are 24 thrones. And, and on those thrones are 24 elders. And they're clothed in white robes. And they are given crowns uh, of gold on their head. And out, and they're the ones that hold the incense of the yes but not yet prayers of the saints. And the Bible says from this throne uh, comes lightning and thunder and voices and the seven lamps of fire which are the, which are the uh, uh, spirit of God, the seven spirits of God. Now I know we, we, we say when I get to heaven I'm going to run up there and I'm going to sit in daddy God's lap and I'm going to pull on his beard. Listen to me. <laughs> There's lightning coming out of this throne, Jack. <laughs> I tell you what I'm going to do. Me and Myrtle, we're just going to stand back here and watch this for a little while. We have so dumbed God down. We have so created this this kind of warm, fuzzy God that we have no reverence for him anymore. We have no respect for him. Nobody takes off their shoes. Nobody tiptoes anymore. Nobody fears him anymore. In fact, the whole theology of Daddy God, Jeremiah Jockham, who did the theology, was challenged immediately by another theologian. And he came out saying, I was wrong. There is no etymological evidence for seeing God in the Greek or in the for daddy God. He is your father. But this warm, fuzzy, over-familiar notion of God that we've cultivated that causes us to not fear him anymore. See, that's what's missing in the church. If I were to ask you this morning, what's the one word that characterizes God? You can only give me one word to describe God. I, everybody in the place, almost everybody would say love. You're wrong. You're wrong. It's not love. It's holy. Heaven doesn't cry love, love, love. Heaven cries holy, holy, holy. I submit to you this morning that the church is largely backslidden. I submit to you this morning that the church is apostate. I submit to you that this morning that the church has lost its way. I submit to you on the basis of the research of George Barna that says on churches like ours, on 100 measurements or more, 
There's no difference between the world and us. And I tell you, it cannot be. I tell you, it must not be. What happened to holiness? What happened to Pentecostal fire? What happened to the thing that set us apart? What happened to the thing that marked us with the presence of God? I know in the early days, everything was sin when I grew up in the church. Was it sin when you grew up in the church? Everything was sin. I mean, if I got on, I had one of the ladies at the church, she got on to me for playing a saxophone. That was sin. She certainly got on to me for praying, playing it at the ball games. That was sin. I got to where when I went home after school, I'd look the other way. I didn't even look in the bowling alley because if I looked in there and Jesus came right at that moment, I was sure that I was going to be uh, left. Uh, I, I, I know that many of the things that we emphasize in our growing up years in Pentecostal and holiness churches, we look back on now and we understand them as legalism. Everybody is here, but here's what we had. Here's what we had. We had, we had the we had the fortitude to differentiate ourselves from the culture. We no longer have the fortitude to differentiate ourselves from the culture. When I was in Germany, when I was in Germany last year for a, glo- a gathering of global leaders uh, celebrating the 95th or the 500th anniversary of Luther's nailing 95 Thesis to the church door in Wittenberg, uh, it was packed in, the church was packed. Barbara and I left there, and we went to Heron Hut. Anybody ever heard of Heron Hut? Heron Hut is where the Moravians, fleeing persecution, came into eastern Germany and asked for sanctuary on the estate of Count Zinzendorf. There was dissension, and Count Zinzendorf stepped in and created order. And one of the things they did to create order is they created what they call the Watch of the Lord. And several of them would commit to pray for an hour, and then another group would pray for an hour, and then another group would pray for an hour. And they did it 24 hours a day, seven days a week for 100 years. It is called the 100-year prayer meeting. Out of this group came the world's first 300 missionaries. Before Livingston, before Carey, before Judson, before all the others, before the great century of missions, They tried to sell themselves into slavery, stopped only by judges. Put me on a ship, count me as a slave, let me go here, there, wherever else, and let me be a missionary for Jesus Christ. Barbara and I walked the streets. We sat in the old church. We walked the cemetery. And early the next morning, God woke me up at 4 a.m. I went downstairs. We were staying at a little bed and breakfast, a working farm, a and I I turned the lights on and and I took a pad and I began to write as hard as I could. And out of that came the book that I held up just a moment ago called The Apostolic Epic. And here's what the Lord said to me. I am about to thrust the church into a new apostolic epic. It will be a sovereign thing on my part. I'm determined to have a praying missional church and my church is not praying now and my church is not missional now. I started writing as fast as I could, and for another year or so, I did research. And we just, in fact, this book just came back from the printer uh, this uh, uh, this this week. Uh, this week. Now, here's here's what here's what I felt like the Lord said said to me. I I think the Lord said to me this. I am going to move the church, the my people, from a church center to a Christ center. Because right now, they're literal nurture from Sunday morning and not from daily time with me over an open Bible. I am going to move my church 
from an emphasis upon just being an organization to being or, or organism, from being structured primarily to being lively, quickened stones. I'm going to move my church from Sunday to Monday where their marketplace ministry and where they work and live as missionaries is as important as Sunday. In fact, I, 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 I want the doctors and the lawyers and the, and the two school teachers and, and everybody else to understand that is the missionary group that I've sent them to. They are missionaries cleverly disguised as. I want them to be salt and light in that place where they work. I want them to carry me in that place. You cannot depend upon the pastors anymore. We have to become a missionary force. It doesn't mean we take tracks with us to work. It doesn't mean we preach the gospel at work. It doesn't mean we take the 50-pound family Bible. But it means that before we leave in the morning, we prepared our hearts and asked the Lord, would you help me be an adequate witness to you today? And if I find in front of me somebody who is hungry for the gospel, would you give me the words to say, I think the Lord is wanting to move us from ecclesia, that is the church called out of the world. That's the shape we're in, the form we're in today. To the church diaspora, dia, through, spora, seed. I think he's wanting to sow us, sow us into neighborhoods. And I think he, he's put you in the place where you are at. I think he's asking us to give the grain offering, which is really the offering to him that has to do with our vocation, our workplace ministry. I think he's wanting us to see our work as ministry unto him. I think he's wanting to move us from the end of the blessing to the middle of somebody else's blessing. I think he's wanting to move us from discipleship as information to discipleship as formation. I think he's moving, wanting to move us from learn and go to go and I'll teach you as you go. I think he's wanting to move us back to prayer and back to mission. Are you... Are you breathing? Now Jesus rumbles into town and he starts throwing the coffee and the donut tables over in the foyer of the church. Remember that? He does it at the beginning of his ministry and he does it at the end of his ministry. And what does he say? My house shall be a house of prayer for the Nation, do you know the spot where they had set up the selling of doves and all that? It was in the court of the Gentiles. They had taken the spot that God had sanctified where the nations could come and learn about the God of Israel. They had essentially, listen, cut off the missionary wing of the church and set up their tables. And it was a racket. You brought your lamb to offer on the altar. And they looked at it and said, we can't offer this lamb. There's a spot. Can't you see right here? No way. I can't get a priest to offer this lamb. Now, I know you don't want to lead around Jerusalem for the next week, so we'll, we'll buy it from you. That's all you're going to pay me? That's all we could pay you. Not for a spot, spotted lamb like this. All right. You take the money, but you don't have enough money, so you've got to go over and exchange more money at the table because they won't take your out-of-town currency. You get over there, the exchange rate is 40%, 30 at least. Now you've got money, you go back and buy a lamb. It's your lamb, they're going to sell you back. No, this can't be your lamb, sir. We've had this lamb. No, no, this is another lamb. It's the only lamb we have right now. They sell you 
back your lamb at twice as much as, as, you, as you sold it to them for? It's a racket. Jesus goes in, turns the tables over, and says, my house shall be a house of. Right now, the church is a house of praise, music, and it's a house of preaching. So we come to church to hear people sing about God, and we come to church to hear somebody talk about God, but we don't talk to him. Now, I want to commend you because the prayer moment that you had in your church, I'm in churches every week. I can tell you I've been in Pentecostal churches where they don't pray at all. So that you have a prayer moment like you have it in your service is significant. But, but most of the time, we're listening to somebody else sing about God, and we're listening to somebody else talk about God. We're not waiting on the Lord to hear from the Lord ourselves. In fact, the average Christian in America, you know how what the prayer thing is? Five minutes a day, circling the parking lot, Walmart, praying for a spot closer to the door. We are not a praying culture. And when we do pray, it's about us. It's about our needs. It's about our rheumatism. It's about our, our arthritis. We're not praying about the things that matter and will make a difference for all of eternity. I want my church to be a house of prayer to the end that you fulfill mission. I, I was uh, reading the other day about a, a, a church, a state church, a very affluent church, right on the border of a, of a university campus. And they, they were praying about starting a ministry to the campus. Uh, but they didn't know how. They, they, st- they didn't know how to reach that generation. And one, one Sunday morning, God decided to help them. Wandering in the church after the service started was a guy that they came to call Wild Bill. <clears throat> he had long, uh, long hair. He had holes in his jeans. You buy, you buy them like that now. I mean, I used to wear them like that, but you, but you buy them like that now. He had sandals. That's all he, that's all he had, and, and he came hungry for God. He came into the church. He was looking for a seat, and he couldn't find one. And then he wandered down the aisle, couldn't find one. He kept getting closer until he got right down there. And there was no place, so he sat right down the middle of the aisle. This was a very upscale kind of church. Everybody was horrified that somebody like this, dressed like this, looking like this, would come to their church. And then they were doubly horrified that he would sit right into the aisle. The pastor, headed to the pulpit to preach, hesitated, watching it all happen. Coming down the aisle was an 80-year-old deacon, gray, silver hair, stately, three-piece suit, gold chain, watch, cane. Uh, Coming down the aisle, he's going to fix it. Just hang on. He's going to take care of this. He's going to get this kid. He's going to get this kid out out of here. He gets right down front. Drops his cane, and everybody in the place, silence. You could hear a pin drop, but you could also hear this 80-year-old deacon grunting, trying to figure out how he was going to get himself down to sit next to Wow Bill. And that's exactly what he did. He sat down and crossed his legs and, and next to this young man and made him feel at home. The pastor said, you'll forget what I preached this morning, but you'll never forget what you saw. The truth is, we're not even ready at this point to receive the world. We're not ready to receive the lost. This will be the dirtiest harvest we ever reap if we are willing to reap this harvest. But I want to tell you something. What God said to me is I am about 
to change the church. Every 500 years, there's a major shift in the church. 500 years ago, the Reformation. 500 years ago, the division of the church, East and West, the Crusades, the rise of Islam. 500 years before that, the collapse of Rome and the rise of the Holy Roman Empire. 500 years before that, the coming of Jesus and the apostolic era. 500 years before that, the Babylonian captivity and the rebirth, the rebuilding of the temple. 500 years before that, David, I could go on. Every 500 years, there's a seismic shift that takes place. I think God is about to intervene in the church and call the church to be something other than three songs and offering a special and a sermon where we all get to go home. I think he is absolutely determined to make his church a house of prayer for the nations. And here's the deal. The nations have come here. There's a 30-day prayer guide that I have that shows unreached people groups from all over the world living right here in North Carolina. Who are they? They're less than 5% Christian, less than 2% evangelical. Some don't even have a Bible, but they've migrated to North Carolina, and they're passing our churches. They're Buddhist and Hindu and Sheik and Muslim and nothing, and they need Jesus. It's as if the Lord has said, you're not going to go after them. I'm going to bring them to your doorstep. I want my church to be a house of prayer for the for the for the. Nations. Let me say it to you in a different way. I'm just trying to figure out how do I how do I say this to you? Jesus presents himself for baptism. John baptizes him, he comes up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord descends upon him, and the Father says, What? You, you, you've never you've never read this before? <laughs> the Father says, they know it on this side. You should sit over here with them. <laughs> This is my beloved son in whom I am. Now, I want you to watch. This is, a, this, this, is a, this is a snapshot. This is a cameo shot that you should never forget. Because at this moment, Jesus dies to himself, to his own ambition, to the carpenter shop, to the care of his mother, to his connection with his brothers, and his whole life shifts. He's buried. This is really his burial. This is his death. He's buried in baptism. He's buried under the will of the Father. My meat is to do the will of the... He comes up and the Spirit of the Lord descends upon him. See, so what is the anointing? It's the presence of God giving his power to help you do God's work. And the Father says, this is my son. I'm proud of him. See, this is where you want to be. This is where you want to be. You want to die to yourself. That's baptism. You want to fully surrender. You want to give up all your rights. You want to tell God, my life is not my own. You want to be dead in Christ, but nevertheless what? Alive. Crucified, but living. You want radical Christianity, not this tepid uh, model that we have now. You, 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 th this is not a goal to come to Jesus Christ and pray a little prayer and light a candle and try to be the best person you can be so you can go to heaven. That is not Christianity. That's religion. Christianity is radical. I've decided to follow Christ. If you want to follow me, take up your what? The cross. It's this deadness to self, this being alive to him. I don't own my life anymore. I, I don't own the right to my life anymore. Well, say, I don't want to be a missionary. No, God wants you to be a missionary right here. 
God wants you to be full of the Spirit right here. And every day he wants to look at a dead person that's alive so that the Holy Spirit is living in you. And the Father brings a dozen angels over to the balcony of heaven and says, pointing you out, I'm so proud of that one. I'm so proud of that one. Look at them go. Look how they share. Look at the light in their eyes. Look at the glory on their life. This is where God wants me. Dead in Christ. You see, I've stopped praying that God would make me like Jesus. I almost don't sing it when they sing it in the church to be like Jesus. You cannot be like Jesus. It is absolutely impossible for you to be like Jesus. Stop trying to be like Jesus. The only way this works is if Jesus can be Jesus in you. If Jesus can be Jesus through you. If you're dead enough, if you're out of the way enough, if you're consecrated enough, if you're surrendered enough, so he can touch through your touching and love through your loving and care through your caring and speak through your speaking until he, the invisible God, is made visible in you and people see your good works and know you could not have done that and it is God. And this is why you pray every day. You don't pray to give God a list because he has Alzheimer's. You don't pray to give God a list and check with him the next day and say, why did you do something about that? That's not prayer. That's the privilege of prayer, but it's not prayer. The prayer is not focused on the hand of God. It's focused on the face of God. It's not a transaction with God. It's being transformed by God. It's coming to ask him for nothing. It is sitting before him because he has done so much for me. It is putting myself in his hand so he can use me in a powerful way. Every day I need to pray because I can't meet the world the way I am. Every day I need to pray because I have no idea what I'm going to face. Every day I need to pray because I might be in front of the greatest opportunity for witness that I've ever had before and I cannot do this by myself. I'm not praying for myself. I'm praying for him. I'm praying for his purpose. I'm praying for his cause. I'm praying for what he wants to do in me and through me. Jesus is baptized. And then he goes into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. He needs to settle a couple things. Number one, He's hungrier for spiritual bread than he is for natural bread. He subordinated the flesh to the spirit. He needs to settle some things. He will not allow his ego and ego rewards to be tricked into doing things that he will regret later. He needs to settle some things. He will not compromise with the devil. He will not worship him. Lucifer's not saying to him, worship me from now on. He's just saying in this moment, all I want is just one moment. I just want you on your knees before for me. Literally, that's Greek. Just want you on your knees for one moment. Just one compromise. It's all it takes is that one compromise. See, that he has to be pure at, at the body, physical level, at the soulless level, at, at, at the spiritual level. And then he comes out of the wilderness and the spirit of the Lord, angels have ministered to him. And he comes into the synagogue and he opens the book and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because what? He's anointed me to share the good news of Jesus, of Jesus Christ. And then he gets 12 men around him and he invites them into his mission. Let me say it to you again. I want you to see this. He, con he consecrates himself in baptism. He gives himself to prayer. And coming out of prayer, he's thrust into mission. He will send his disciples to a prayer meeting. And into that prayer meeting, the Spirit of the Lord will rumble just like the Spirit of the Lord descended upon them. And suddenly they'll be in the streets and they'll be involved in mission. Let me say it to you again. We 
are church-centered, we start with the church and then we figure out what kind of mission the church wants to do. It's exactly the opposite of the Bible. Jesus doesn't start with the church. He doesn't rent a building. He doesn't hire a band. He engages himself in mission and calls 12 men around him to join him in that mission. And the mission, listen, will give birth to the church. See, the church doesn't have a mission. The mission has a church. And the mission is birthed out of prayer. Are you, are you awake? What time is it? Oh, my goodness. It's 11 o'clock. This is why the church needs to gather to prayer. This is why what we're doing now is not adequate. The spectator thing is not adequate. We're passive. We watch the singing. We may clap a little bit. We may join. We listen to the preaching. 80% of us forget it within three hours. It's not changing us. But if you'll take a Bible and you'll come together, And you'll wait before God as a congregation. Prayer will give birth to mission. God will begin to talk to this church. He'll begin to open doors for this church. It will not happen because of Sunday morning. It's structured wrong. It'll happen when you gather before God as a church. Not for prayer requests. The worst thing in the world you can do is put prayer requests up front. Because it's self-interested. The thing that's killing our prayer is narcissism. The thing that's killing our prayer is pragmatism. I want to get something out of it. I wouldn't pray if I couldn't get an answer. Well, well th- 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 let me tell you what that's all about. Pragmatism introduces an ulterior motive, and an ulterior motive means a shift in power. And a shift in power is all about manipulation. And ultimately, I'm in charge, and God is the servant. And it puts prayer exactly upside down. No, he's done enough for you, for you to meet with him. He's done enough for you to get your Bible. And 15 minutes in the morning say, how could I consecrate myself to you today that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit and thrust me into mission today that I could be an agent of your glory today. He's done enough for you. Take prayer requests and put them to the back and put his purposes and his glory and his interests and his mission. See, Jesus said, pray this way. Our Father who in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy Kingdom come, thy. So here's here's the purpose of prayer. Here's the template. I want to bind my will to the will of God. I want to subordinate my will to the will of God so that I can advance the kingdom of God in a way that glorifies the name of God. If I will do this, then he'll meet my needs for daily bread. If I'll do this, he'll keep forgiving me. If I'll do this, he will put a stay on the enemy and protect me from things that will come against my life. But you can't cut off the first part of the prayer and go to the middle of the prayer. Here's what the Lord is wanting. He's wanting the church to be a house of prayer. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to find a... I'm trying to find a I came into Charlotte the other night and the sigma was so low they, they were working circling and find a spot so they could land on a clear spot of ground. Uh, I'm circling the plane, all right? 30 minutes, I'll be finished. I'm going to go back and show you something.
what I read earlier. There's a prayer meeting going on in heaven. There is a prayer meeting going on in heaven. It is the prayer meeting. What happened in Acts 2? Fire across the room, fire on each of them. The primal language, the breaking the language barrier, the 3,000 saved, Jerusalem shaken up. Yeah. That's simply the overflow of the prayer meeting in heaven. Because that's the day Jesus was inaugurated as the high priest of heaven's tabernacle. That's the day the fire and glory raced across the tabernacle in heaven. The Bible says that there was a tabernacle in heaven of which the tabernacle of Moses was only the pattern. The temple of, of Solomon was only the pattern. But that tabernacle could never be used. It could never be opened because it couldn't be sanctified by the blood of what? Bulls and goats. It wasn't until Jesus went home. It wasn't until he took his own blood and he sprinkled the vessels of the tabernacle in heaven and he sprinkled the mercy seat and he sat down next to the Father and he started the prayer meeting that has never stopped. And he whispered, they cannot do it by themselves. Send the Holy Spirit. And this prayer meeting is still going on. It is a prayer meeting that involves the consummation of all things. It's a prayer meeting that involves our completing the Great Commission, which we have not completed in 2,000 years. How could we let this happen? It's a prayer meeting that is about the glory of God coming to cities. It's a prayer meeting about a seismic, dynamic move of God, the likes of which we have never seen or even believed possible. I'm telling you, God wants to do something far beyond our radar screen. It is a prayer meeting about the final harvest. How many people live? What's, what county is this? How many people live in Wayne County? Anybody, anybody smart enough to know that? How many people live in Wayne County? 50,000? 65,000? 100,000? 100,000. So here's what I think you ought to pray for. Here's what I think you ought to pray for. 100,000? You said 100,000? Now don't. Don't text your friends. If just, just, I know what you're doing. You're helping me find the answer to this, and I'm grateful, and I shouldn't be picking at you like this. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Whatever that population is, 100,000, I want you to start praying for a tithe. I want you to start believing based on Isaiah 6, the tenth shall return, that God would give you a revival so powerful in this county that one out of ten people who live in this county would come to Jesus Christ in a mighty move of the Holy Spirit. How many? I can't read it. 124,000. So, 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 so 12, God, would you give us a revival so powerful, so mighty, that 12,500 people would be swept into the kingdom of God, including my brother, my sister, my cousin, my aunt, my neighbor, in a mighty move of the Holy Spirit like this county has never seen before in an 18 to 36 month. Would you shake this place up? Would you come like you did 100 years ago after Cashwell came back from Azusa Street? Would you rumble through this town? Would you shake up the pagans? Would you save people that are such sinners that it surprises God? Lord, would you do that? I mean, how many of you know radical salvations are the lifeblood of a movement? Here's what I, here's, here's, I'm telling you, there's a prayer meeting in heaven. There's a prayer meeting like you've never seen. 24 elders. Four living creatures. Seraphim flying around. Holy, holy, holy. You've never seen a prayer meeting like this. God wants you to join that prayer meeting. The son is talking to the father. And the father is talking to the son. And the Holy Spirit has been sent to the earth to do what? To intercede. 
and to help us intercede. So here's what, here's what, here's what God wants. He wants to squeeze me into this conversation going on in the Trinity. What an extraordinary mind-bending idea. He wants to squeeze me in between the Spirit and the Son. So the Spirit will help me pray to the Father in the name of the Son based on the promises of God's Word that the kingdom of God will break into this world and shake this place up and a mighty harvest will come. God is inviting you to join the Trinity in a conversation. Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> and to hear things disclosed. See, the way we're praying is just not getting it done. He's wanting you, listen, I'm almost finished. He's wanting you to join him in prayer, listen, that you might join him in mission and be the church he's called you to be. And that might frighten you to death, but I tell you, it will be the most exciting chapter of your life. If you could push back all the little prayer stuff that you're praying and start Listening. The most important thing in prayer is not what, not what we say. It's hearing what God might say to us. There's a prayer meeting going on in heaven. The goal of the church is to join that prayer meeting until the power of that prayer meeting is manifest through our lives and it rattles whole cities. Amy Carmichael was a missionary... 50 years in India, very young. And she saw Indian families selling their girls to the Hindu temples to be prostitutes. Made money for the family, made money for the temple. She was outraged. She started a crusade to rescue these girls. She immediately got pushed back from the temple authorities from the culture. That's expected, right? Then she got pushed back from the dark powers in the middle heaven. That was formidable. But what she didn't expect was the pushback from the church. What she didn't expect was other missionaries to say, don't do this. You're rocking the boat. They'll, you'll upset the authorities. They'll make us all leave. Just find, just find a little mission and just do your little thing. But don't take on this project. See, I think that's exactly where we are. These little narrow little projects that make us feel good. But they don't challenge the culture. I'm not a culture warrior. I was asked to pray in the Senate a couple years ago, and I got a call the week before I was supposed to go, and, and they said, uh, you need to know the rules. You can't say the name of Jesus. In North Carolina, I said, I don't always say in the name of Jesus when I pray, but if you tell me, I can't. I'm not talking about the culture wars. I'm talking about something different. She said, I was shocked by the missionaries and the Christians saying, just stay in your place. That's what we've done. Oh, we can't pray here? Okay. Oh, I can't bring my Bible? Okay. Oh, I can't wear this cross? Okay. 
Or somebody asks me, I can't tell them I'm a Christian. Okay. We can't, we can't back up any further. We're about to fall off the ship. I'm not asking you to become an aggressive, angry, agitating culture warrior. But I'm asking you to spend time every morning in prayer, not for yourself. But because you live in a sea of broken, hurting people. And you ought to give yourself to God every day. You ought to consecrate yourself to God. You ought to ask for the Holy Spirit. You ought to surrender yourself to God so he can use you. Amy said, I just I couldn't handle it anymore. I, she said, all the pressure from the missionaries, from the demonic powers, from the culture. She said, I was looking at my window at the tamarind trees in India. And she said, suddenly they weren't tamarind trees. They were olive trees. And she said, suddenly I wasn't in India. It was as if I was in the garden of Gethsemane and the olive grove. And in the distance, I saw a tree. And kneeling at the base of the tree, I saw him. I saw, I saw, I saw Jesus. And she said, I knew if I could get to him. I knew if I could kneel. I knew if I could sit next to him. I knew if I could hear him pray. I'd have the power to do what he was calling me to do. I'm telling you, you've got to go into the garden and listen to Jesus pray for the world that you're living in for you. It's not the strength of your prayer. It's the strength of his prayer. Heaven's having a prayer meeting now. And God is wanting you to join that prayer meeting. Oh, I feel the Holy Spirit. Oh, I sense the Holy Spirit. God is asking you to lay down your narrow slice of pain that you've been praying about and pray for bigger missional purposes. Would you stand? Now, I don't know how you close your service. Pastor asked me to close with a love offering for him, but I don't feel like doing that. <laughs> Here's what I want you to do. I want you to look around, find somebody right next to you that looks like that they're rich enough to take you out for lunch. Look around, find them right now. <laughs> and I just want you to make a small circle of two or three or just reach over. And I want you to pray. Just, just, just yeah, make a small circle or, or just join hands or... Just reach out and put your hand on the shoulder of next, somebody next to you. I think it'll be all right. Not around their neck, just around their. And now I hear, I want you to do, I want you to borrow my words, but I just want you to pray. Lord, forgive me for my little narrow self-interested prayers. Forgive me for making prayer about myself. Forgive me for coming to you with my list and not having your list. Forgive me for dry eyes. Forgive me for smooth knees. Forgive me that I have not realized that the most important prayer meeting is the one in heaven, that I've never even thought about joining you in prayer. I pray, Lord, help me to bury myself in the baptismal waters, to die to myself today. Help me to be filled with the Holy Spirit again today. Help me, God, to hear you say, that's my son, that's my daughter. I'm so proud of them. Help me to be used of you for your glory. In Jesus' name.